0: Good morning, I'm Joe Collins, welcome to Seamy Church We are uh, in a series entitled The Oikos Principle It's the idea that the primary way Jesus spread his message was and still is through the relationship of his Through the relational world of his followers Last week we uh, focused on part one, preparing yourself for your oikos And today we're going to do part two preparing yourself for your oikos. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's pray before we turn there. Father, thank you so very much for bringing us together today, for your love for us, for the incredible worship we had, for the desire of God to come together as friends and family and to connect with each other and with you. And I pray, God, that you're with us now as we look at your word, that you speak to each and every one of us. In, in, in what we need to hear, God, in order to help us be prepared to go to our oikoses, our households, the people in our lives who need to know about you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to start in First, uh, First Corinthians chapter 5. Before we get there, though, I want to show you a map. We looked at this last week. Uh, the church in Corinth was near and dear to Paul's heart. He established it to what we call, during what we call the second missionary journey. That was around 52 A.D., If you look at the map, he left Antioch, traveled through that area called Asia or Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, crossed the Aegean Sea, went into Thrace, which is modern-day Greece, and then eventually made his down into southern Greece to the city of Corinth where he stayed for about 18 months and established the church that we call the Corinthian church uh, there. After his 18 months, he moved back to Ephesus, or eventually made his way back to Ephesus, And it was there while he was in Ephesus about three years later where he got word that problems were going on in the Corinthian church, which was the reason for him writing his letter. Now, when we read the letter to Corinthians, it's easy to fall into a trap and think that it's just a list of what not to do. It's a bunch of things of what churches shouldn't do. And there is a lot of that in Corinthians, but I don't want to look at it through that lens. I want to look at it through what should we do as a church? What do we learn in the letter of Corinthians that, that tell, informs us on how we can be better prepared for our oikoses? Last week, we, we looked at chapters one through four. and in those chapters, Paul deals primarily with divisions that had broken out in the church. There were these factions that had risen up around various leaders, and it was threatening the unity of the church. His solution was very simple. More Jesus, more unity. That's a great message for us to hear and be reminded of. More Jesus, more unity. It's not to be found in rallying around different leaders. It's not to be found in establishing norms and, and, and people conforming to a certain code of conduct. It really comes from Jesus being in our lives, front and center. And when we all focus on Jesus, an amazing thing happens. Unity occurs. Now, in chapters 5 through 13, we're going to look at today, Paul turns his attention to a number of additional issues, and they were just as significant and dangerous to the well-being of the church. Let's review them. Right off the bat, incest. In a church in the first century, established by the apostle Paul, and with various leaders like Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and other well-known uh, uh, people in the Christian in, in the history of the Christian Church, going in and out of the city, they had in their midst a man who got into a sexual relationship with his own stepmother, and Paul even said this was so shocking to him that he was pointing it out that even the, 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 the non-Christians in Corinth would be shocked by that kind of behavior. And remember, Corinth was a very immoral city. That would be like doing something so shocking that even Vegas would go, well, we wouldn't do that. This was occurring in the midst of the church. Secondly, lawsuits between believers. These factions had gotten to such a point where they no longer trusted each other or another person in the church to resolve conflict. And so they were just resorting to going to the legal authorities first to resolve conflict rather than getting together with the family, the church family and mature people and getting these issues resolved before they ever get to that point. Thirdly, prostitution. We said last week, Corinth had a phrase Just like the phrase Vegas has, what happens here stays here. Well, in Corinth, they called it to live like a Corinthian. It meant to engage in prostitution. As a matter of fact, there was even another phrase called a Corinthian girl, which was what you were called if you were a woman in Corinth because it was just assumed you worked in prostitution. This was in the church. Not just in the city. Number four, celibate marriages. Now, I don't know how screwed up you got to be where sex is okay with a prostitute, but not with your wife, but they got that screwed up in the church in Corinth. Another issue that they had to deal with, sexual immorality. The non-married members of the church were struggling with the level of Liberality when it came to sex in the city. And Paul was basically saying, you got to run from that. Even if you got to get married, get married, it's better than that. Divorce between believers. Well, no wonder, right? I mean, no sex marriages, prostitution, sexual immorality. I mean, you could imagine divorce was becoming a very big problem in the church not only divorce between believers, but there was also divorce between believers married to non-believers. That led to confusion regarding marriage and remarriage. Idolatry, something we don't totally relate to, but you've got to remember the city of Corinth was not Jewish by tradition, they didn't have uh, the, the the belief in one God, so they believed in many gods and so idolatry was rampant and and many of the believers in Corinth came into the church with a background of idolatry, entitlement or abuse of what i'm going to call christian freedoms there were there were believers in the church who felt like I get to do what I want to do because my conscience is clear and I don't care about how anybody else in the church feels about it. And so this was causing offenses to occur between believers. There were gender role reversals during worship. In other words, women were taking on roles of men and men were acting like women in the worship. Now this is going to lead to gender confusion. And Paul has to talk about that, that men should look like men and women should look like women and act and behave accordingly. Then finally, finally there was inequality. They would come together like we are today for church. And in those days, they would have a meal as part of the communion rather than a song and walk up to a table. But what was happening is is well-off members of the church were coming with big spreads of food. And they were eating and drinking and getting drunk while poorer members watched. This was all happening in the church in Corinth. 18 months is all it took. Right? Paul left. He was there 18 months. He left, and well, I should say three years. And within three years, he was getting people coming from Corinth. They were crossing the sea on a boat, coming to Ephesus to talk to him. Hey, the church has got problems. Now, not counting all the partisanship that we talked about last Sunday, I can see about 13 issues, big issues, that Paul has to deal with here, at this point in the letter. And this is not counting the several issues he's got to deal with after this point in the letter. Things like the misuse of spiritual gifts, confusion regarding the resurrection, giving, and on and on. Now in each case, Paul deals with each one of these issues One at a time. Sometimes he gives his own opinion. Other times he reveals to them a new revelation from God. This is what God says about this situation. And then other times he's just reminding them, this is what God has already said. One after the other, he deals with each and every one of these issues. Now, I know you're going to be disappointed, but I'm not going to go through every issue. That would take most of the day. And I've got stuff to do today. I know you'd like to sit around and hear me talk, but I've got to go at a certain point. So we're not going to go through every single one of these issues. And by the way, I want to encourage you to read the book of Corinthians yourself. It's not long. And make a list like I did of the issues. You identify the issues, and then you read about the solutions. Remember we said last week, my personal Bible study is no substitute for your personal Bible study actually, it'd be great for you to do something similar and really get a handle on what's going on there in the church. There's a lot to learn. But I want to pause for a second, and I want to just make a quick point here that I think you can appreciate. Studying out Corinthians has helped me appreciate it, and that is that church, what we're doing right now and what we're a part of in our regular life as Christians is not the final destination. This is not where we end. This is just really a starting point. Church is meant to be a starting point for faith. And it's in the church where we have to wrestle with our own baggage and our own issues and the issues that the world shoves down our throat. And we all come in at different places in life. We don't become churchgoers and suddenly all of our problems go away. At least it didn't happen that way for me. I want you to think of church for a minute as a life raft. And and we're just lucky to have found it. And when we climb in that life raft, we climb in with whatever we got with us while we were floating around in the wreckage of whatever boat or ship or plane we went down with. And so... When you're talking about the people in your world and you're out there trying to engage them, whether it's by investing in them or inviting them to come to church, do me one favor. Please don't oversell it. I've been guilty of that. Come to church and all your problems will go away. And then they come to church and no problems go away right away. Or they come to church and they look around and go, these people are weird. And they still have their problems. And we do. Don't oversell church. I'm not saying church is not important. I'm not saying I don't value church. I've given my life to church. I think it's awesome. But it's not my destination. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Just as one body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts are form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slave, or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, But of many. So Paul has gone through this litany of issues. Literally, if you just read five through 12, it's just like issue, 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 answer, answer, answer. And then in chapter 12, he stops and he starts talking about the human body and he makes a comparison to the human body to Christ and Christ's body. And then he goes on to talk about that through baptism, we were linked to one another. And given this one spirit to drink. Now, this is weird language to me. It's very strange in reading Corinthians after going through issue after issue that we come to this point and suddenly he gets into this analogy. And he starts talking about the human body and Christ's body and how we're all one and we all got into the body through baptism but yeah, somehow we're all linked together. Honestly, I would have expected Paul at some point between issue 10 and 13 to throw his pen down and say, I'm done with this. And, you know, the letter should end with, and by the way, I'm right. I'm removing your charter. (laughs) You're no longer a church. I'm kicking you all out. We're going to have to start over. That would make sense to me. I mean, there's got to be a point where you're dealing with issue after issue after issue. And you just get to a point where you go, I can't deal with any more of these issues. This thing's so far gone. Time to just hit reset and start all over. But instead, he starts talking about them as if they were a body, and he starts talking about their oneness in the Spirit. Then in the next verses, we're not going to read it for time's sake, but verses 15 through 25, he keeps furthering this analogy of the body. And he says, you know, the eye cannot say to the hand and the the foot cannot say to the ear. He starts describing how the body, the human body has to work together and each different part of the human body needs the other part and vice versa. And so even the lowliest part of the human body is important. And even the most revered part of the human body is important. And they've got to work in harmony. They've got to work together as one, and he even goes so far as to say that when the body, when a part of the body is is celebrating, the whole body can celebrate, and when a part of the body is hurting, the whole body is hurting. And he ends this little soliloquy with this phrase: "Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it." If I've picked up anything through the study of 1 Corinthians, I've learned that church is messy. As a matter of fact, if it isn't messy, it's not church. Yet sometimes we don't want church to be messy anymore. And we don't want to have to deal with problems that maybe we dealt with years ago and now someone else is in our life and they're dealing with them. And there's a point where we say, I don't want to keep doing this any longer. And we want to throw the pen down and we want to stop talking to that person and we want to stop reaching out to that person. And as a matter of fact, we didn't want that person to come in the door anymore. So we're only going to have people like us in the church with problems that we feel okay about. That isn't church. It's messy. Right. <laughs> I really believe God wants it that way. I don't know about you, but I, don't, I would never have made it in a perfect church. Right. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, I am not the specimen. I was not the specimen that you see standing here today. <laughs> I wasn't always this awesome. <laughs> I'm so grateful for the people who pulled me out of the water and into the raft. They didn't judge me. They didn't, they didn't choose to skip over me because, oh, they could see, you know, there was a bunch of mess around me in the water. We don't want that guy. We'll go get that guy. He looks better. They didn't make that choice. Amen. They just pulled me in. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you something very simple. We're trying to prepare ourselves for our oikos, our relational world, the people that God has put supernaturally and strategically in our life. We're trying to be the best for them that we can possibly be. And it's not about being perfect. <laughs> it's actually about being real. Your oikos, your household, the people that you're mission-loving, you're praying for on a regular basis, they need to see you as you really are. Not some facade, not some front. They need to see someone real because it's only then will they have the courage and the faith to be willing to try getting into the raft with you. You're not going to get in a raft if you're the perfect person, I can't relate to that, they can't relate to that, you can't relate to that. You could almost make the argument that the biggest problem dealing with Corinthians, and I'm, this is not in the Bible, I'm just speculating here, I'm making this up actually, but you could almost make the argument that it was them trying not to have problems that was a problem rather than just accept the problems they were having, take the correction, and move forward. we got to let people see the good, the bad, the ugly, and yet our faith at the same time. That is what will draw people to the church. I'm going to close out with maybe the most famous passage in the Bible. One of the most famous set of words ever put on paper. Now remember, this comes right after all of the issues and right on the heels of Paul talking about the church as a body and its oneness and how we together form the church. And it's not about being perfect And he sort of concludes, he really sort of reaches a a pinnacle here with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind At the end of the day, the Corinthian church was a mess. But Paul doesn't throw them away. He doesn't discard them and say, there's too many issues here, you're too screwed up, starting over. And neither does God. They were still a church, and he wanted them to know that that is who they were. That was their identity, and they can't lose that. Don't ever give up on it. I might say the same to us. Don't ever give up on church. Don't ever give up on each other. It's our identity. It's who we are. In spite of the messes, in spite of the differences, in spite of the conflicts that we may experience, in spite of all of the sin, we are still a church of Christ. We are still part of His body. And we can try to fix every problem we have, and we could. And we could, we could sit here until 6 o'clock tonight and just try to deal with every issue everybody has. <laughs> that was just for Brian. Till 6 for Brian, <laughs> then everyone else. <laughs> but nothing means more than our love our love for each other in spite of each other. It's what God feels about us. He loves us in spite of us. It's what any parent feels towards their child, even as their child makes messes in their diaper, gets older, makes messes in their life, and any real parent is going to love that child to the day they die. God never gives up his love for us we should never give it up for Him or for each other. No talent or gift is more important than love. No amount of faith or sacrifice can substitute for love. We need to be patient and kind, to root for and submit to, to encourage and support one another. We need to resolve conflicts and look out for each other, regardless of our failings. And the same goes for your oikos. They need to feel that kind of love from you. Because it's that kind of love that's going to give them the courage to jump into the boat with you. And at the end of the day, it's that kind of love that never fails. If you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, it all starts with the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner who needs to be saved. Believe Jesus is Lord and covenant with him at baptism. If you'd like to learn what that means and how to do that, I'm available, my wife's available, the person that you're sitting with next to you in the, in the pew there is available. We'd love to tell you about it. It's not complicated. It's not tricky. We're not trying to pull, we're not trying to pull anything Uh, On you, pull anything over on you. We just want you to get into the boat with us and be part of our mess together. If you're not ready for that, I hope to see you next Sunday. We'll be right back here, 10.30 a.m. We're going to conclude the series with part three of preparing for your oikos. We're going to stand at this time. We're going to cross the aisle. Let's go arm in arm like a family. And we're going to close out in prayer. (laughs) Duh! <laughs> Just <laughs>